Hey everyone, welcome to the Brown Girl Podcast. It is January 2022. It is the first episode of the year. I hope your year is off to a great start and you've got some good goals and objectives planned for the year that you are excited for. If you haven't listened to our last podcast episode 11 from December, make sure you go give that a listen. I share my thoughts on goal setting and some tangible actions that you can take into the new year on improving in the areas of mindset, money, and health. Okay, so for today's episode, this episode was recorded with my friend Tina Luke. We are talking about dating as a brown girl in our 30s. So we talk everything from our own personal experiences, the cultural pressures, matrimonial ads, and biodatas, dating apps, and everything in between. Now, in planning for this episode, we had solicited people to anonymously submit specific questions they wanted us to cover, and we quickly realized we'd likely need to do a multi-part series. So this episode ahead is more introductory in nature, and then we are planning to do a follow-up part two that covers all of those questions that we got from all of you listeners. So hope you enjoyed the show today. If you did, I'd love if you could leave a review on Apple. If you're on Instagram, give us a follow at the brown girl underscore podcast to stay up to date on new releases and stay engaged with our community. Hi, everyone. My name is Julie. I am the host of the show. Thanks so much for listening today. I'm really excited for today's show. I thought it would be way more fun to do the segment with my friend Tina so that it's not just me talking. So Tina, thank you for being here. Give us just a quick background on who you are. Introduce yourself so that um, listeners know who you are. Sure. Um, Hi, everyone. I'm Tina. I'm 30 years old. I live in Los Angeles and I am a fellow brown girl, just like Julie. Um, And I run a marketing consulting firm. So I run ads for clients on Google, Facebook and Instagram. And uh, yeah, that's a little bit of a nutshell on me. Thanks, Tina. So you mentioned you're 30. I'm 31. We're both in our early 30s. And we're not married. And culturally, that's a big deal. I wish it wasn't that way, but it is. And for my family, you know, the fact that I'm not married is such a pressing topic for my parents and family members. And I think it's something that creates more stress for them than it does for me, despite this being my life. And, you know, if you're if you're Indian and you're from South Asian culture, you kind of know there's this narrative to follow. It includes going to school, getting a degree in, you know, one of the three or four acceptable professions, starting a career, and then getting married and having kids in that exact order. And marriage is so embedded in our culture. And for some reason, 30 is this magic number. It's like this number that is stuck in everyone's head. And it's the age that seems to have the most scrutiny around, especially if you're a girl. So, Tina, what's been your general experience been like being 30 and not married from a cultural perspective? Like, do you feel like you get a lot of pressure from your family to get married? Like, paint us a picture for for what that feels like for you. 
Yeah, definitely. Um, so yeah, for sure. I think like, you know, as most brown girls could relate, especially being my age, uh, there is definitely pressure around getting married. Um, you know, that comes from my family, that comes from the community. It could even come from like other friends and even like non-brown people as well, mm -hmm. right? Like there are people who even outside of the brown community, like 30 is usually the age that a lot of uh, people, particularly women, start to feel that pressure to get married. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I definitely felt that pressure. I Luckily for me, I don't really feel like it's like crippling pressure where, you know, it impacts uh, my mental health or anything of that nature. Um, but yes, I definitely, you know, do feel it. And I, I can definitely sympathize with other people who have um, felt that pressure as well. Mm -hmm. And at what age or point in your life did you start to feel that pressure? That's a good question. I want to probably say like mid 20s onward is when I started to feel that pressure because mm -hmm. I started to have a few friends that started to get married. Mm -hmm. My parents, you know, started kind of mentioning the topic of marriage to me a little bit more. So I will say that that's kind of like when it started. But obviously, as you know, like in more recent times, like the older you get, like the more yeah. the, the, the quote unquote pressure kind of uh, forms. Yeah. Um, so yeah, but I want to say it started around like the mid 20s for me. Yeah, same for me. Growing up, I was not allowed to date or have a boyfriend. Most of us who had boyfriends or girlfriends in high school probably had to hide it from their parents. And that's what I did too. But as soon as I graduated college at 22, that's when my parents started pushing these matrimonial proposals in front of me, like asking all the time if I've met someone. And, um, you know, this was and has been a recurring endless conversation for for the last decade. And if you're listening and you're not from South Asian culture, so when I say matrimonial proposals, and I'm using air quotes there, just to give some background on what that process looks like. So when we talk about the idea of arranged marriage, it's traditionally thought of in the sense that your partner is selected for you and you meet your spouse on your wedding day. Um, that is not as common in America, at least with our generation. But what is common is this like hybrid where your parents are basically endorsing your dating life. And so, you know, they come up with these bio datas, which are basically this resume that highlights yourself and XYZ criteria that you're looking for and photos. And this basically gets circulated amongst a web of parents and families who are colluding together to basically like get their kids to talk or date or whatever with, with a goal of marriage. And so, um, like I was saying, you know, that whole process basically started for me, like at age of 22, it was like, you're not allowed to date, you're not allowed to date. And then all of a sudden, you have to be on this marriage track. And I think, for me, like for the last decade, basically, I've found myself to kind of be a reluctant partner, um, or not partner, but participant in that process. Like, it's, it's not that I'm not open to it. It's just from my experience, I haven't had a very positive experience with my parents trying to set me up. Yeah, I will say, you know, like most other brown girls and like yourself, um, my parents definitely do try to set me up with um, different mm -hmm. people they have kind of, you know, throughout like my 20s, I would say. 
Some of them actually were more promising than others. I wouldn't say they were all complete duds for the most part. They're usually not people who, you know, uh, I had anything in common with and that I really saw compatibility with. Um, So I'm in a similar boat to you where I'm open to it. You know, if my parents want to like pitch somebody to me, I'm all ears. (laughs) But, you know, obviously it's like I'm not going to move forward with it unless like I feel comfortable and I feel like there, there is like compatibility there. Yeah, yeah, totally. Like, I think what like one thing that's always bothered me about that whole process is it's a lot of times it's felt like there was this very superficial element to it in that the focus is on all these superficial elements of like, first determining whether you have the right skin tone and like a specific kind of education or profession that they're looking for. You know, I remember one time it was it was this time probably a year ago um and i went through this breakup and my parents knew about this breakup and shortly after they were like okay you know what you're doing is not working so you have to let us help you meaning they wanted to help me in my search for a marriage partner or whatever and this is when i was living in chicago and my parents also live in chicago and so they had come over to my apartment um, for dinner one night and they start telling me about this guy from New York and you know they're like so and so told us about him he comes from a great family he works for blah 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 company can we send the family your information and I'm like no I'm not interested I just went through this super fresh breakup I was just mentally not in a good space to be talking or meeting someone new. And then I just had all these like other life things going on. I was trying to coordinate this cross country move and applying for jobs left and right. It was also like a super busy season at work. And I just did not, you know, have the mental capacity to entertain that process for the sake of my parents. And so I was like, nope, like, please leave me alone. Um, And they would not stop asking me and badgering me about this guy. And mind you, we were under the same roof. So it's not like we were just on the phone and I could just be like, okay, I gotta go. Bye. Love you and hang up. Um, And we probably went back and forth for 45 minutes. And then eventually I was like, okay, fine. Yes. Do whatever you want. Send them my information. I'm probably going to do it anyway. And one week later, my dad calls me and he goes, okay, the family got back to us. They're not interested. (laughs) And I'm like, okay, (laughs) why? And he goes, "Um, they said you're too short. They didn't like your height. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) And I was like, wait, are you serious right now? Like, is this a joke? I don't know if I should laugh, if I should um, be repulsed, or if I should just find this whole thing totally pathetic. It was, I mean, it was probably like a, a combination of all of those things, you know? And it was like, okay, dad, thanks for once again proving to me why I don't like being um part of this process yeah Um, it's definitely a a frustrating process actually that reminded me of a funny story um from a couple years ago um my mom again like pitched you know some guy to me that she thought would be like a great match for me um and I had actually already met this person before and I had like mutual friends with him and I just kind of knew I which like wasn't (laughs) interested (laughs) So I told my mom, I was like, hey, you know, like, I, you know, I, I'm not really interested for X, Y, Z reasons. And I kind of explained it. And she was like, oh, okay, well, the thing is, I already told them that, like, we are interested. So like, now what do I tell them? Oh, my God. 
And I was just like, I don't know, mom, like, that's a you problem. Yeah. (laughs) I was like, you got us into this mess. Like, you have to get us out. Like, I can't help you there. Yeah. That's so funny. I think, again, I think if you have found your, you know, spouse or partner through the help of your parents, that's awesome. I just, I personally have not had a very positive experience. And for those reasons, like, I've always gone out of my way to not give in to them. So I think like uh, one reason, especially for, I I see this in both men and women, but I think women especially, I think part of the reason why um, they put so much pressure on themselves and I guess like from society as well to be in a relationship is because they think that it's going to like just suddenly make them happy. Mm -hmm. And I guess I should say this goes for both men and women, Um, but they kind of just think that like, okay, like all my problems will be solved once I, you know, get a partner and Mm -hmm. I won't be lonely anymore and people will stop asking me when I'm going to get married and all of these things. Things, right and they kind of think it's like a, a cure to their their problems and I just think that like you just have to be content with yourself first mm-hmm. before you you know get into a relationship right like if you're feeling that you're depressed or um, you feel lonely or whatever the case may be as a single person those issues aren't going to be magically solved once you're in relationship so I just think that like you know if you're someone who like you really you're finding yourself in a place where you are so badly wanting to be in a relationship and you just think that it's going to solve all your problems to just like really take a step back and like try to kind of work on yourself first and like do that work and the self-care that you need Yes. um, before, you know, trying to get into a relationship because what can happen if that's the case is that, you know, you may get into a relationship and then you never, you know, fix the other issues, uh, you know, emotional or like whatever issues or mental issues that you may have had and then now you're carrying that into the into the relationship which is going to make the relationship even it's just going to complicate things right so I just think that like you know some people are really overvaluing a relationship like yes relationships are great and there's a lot of people who are really happy and that's you know that's great but um if you are someone who you really think that it's gonna you know sort of change your life to be in a relationship Mm -hmm. like it most likely isn't yeah, I think doing so can create unhealthy and, and toxic expectations and patterns when you are in the relationship, like feeling good because you're with your partner is amazing. Like that's how it should be. But actually, depending on your partner to feel good are two different things. And it's really unfair to place that responsibility on your partner to be the sole reason why you're happy. I mean, I guess that that same concept can be applied in a lot of other areas of life too, right? Like oftentimes we just think we're just waiting for that next thing to make us happy. We're just waiting for, um, you know, to get that raise or to make $20,000 more. As soon as I do that, I'll be fine. And even it happens in relationships. Like if you have problems and issues in your relationship while you're dating and you think, well, maybe getting married will solve all of them, they won't. And I think like another point that you wanted to make was around how like following that narrative, like I mentioned earlier, following that narrative is so ingrained in our culture, right? Yeah. I mean, the questions that we get asked, you know, in our culture of like, you know, when are you getting married? When are you getting married? Like you were mm-hmm. saying, it's sort of just ingrained in our culture, right? You know, before you reach like the the marriage age, um, you know, the questions that you get asked from like your parents or from like your peers or your um, other members of the uh, of the Indian community or brown community rather um, is like, so where are you going to go to college? And then once you get into college, it's like, okay, so what are you going to do with your career? Mm-hmm. And then once the dust settles there, it's like, then what, 
when are you going to get married? And then, of course, once you get married, I mean, I'm not married, but I know that the next question is, uh, when are you going to have kids? And then once you have kids, it's like, well, where are your kids going to go to college? And it just like, it's just this like never ending like cycle of questions and pressure that kind of gets put on us. And I just think that like, I would advise people who are really starting to feel that pressure to kind of just get used to the pressure and kind of learn to accept it. Because that pressure is never going to go away. Like if you think that like, your way of dealing with the pressure is to sort of just like succumb to it and you like kind of get married faster than your timeline should be and kind of like, you know, um, you know, get married at a time that's not appropriate for you. Um, like that's just, it, it's not going to solve the problem, right? Because mm-hmm. the pressure is going to kind of keep coming. So yeah, um, I just think that like for anyone out there who feels that pressure, like just understand that the solution is to kind of better manage the pressure because it's never going to go away as opposed to just like, succumbing to it. Yes, the questions will never end. And the questions and expectations are based on this, this script or this narrative. So if you're always giving into this script, then you're going to find yourself always having to answer to that next question and, you know, giving into a life that's not your own. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, when I was Doing some research for this episode, I found some interesting studies. Um, There was a study done in 2016 that concluded that single people were more likely to grow as individuals because they have a heightened sense of self-determination and are more likely to experience a sense of continued growth. And I really believe that. I think like when you don't have to think about someone else, it snaps you into the reality of what you want. And I think that like you can certainly still grow as an individual, even if you are in a relationship or you are married. And and I think, in fact, if you're with the right person, you know, they should help you grow as an individual. But the bottom line is like when you're in a relationship, you have to consider a whole nother person. And so I think like while you're single, that's the most advantageous time to focus on yourself and like do the work yourself. So that way, when you do find a partner to start a relationship with, like you can be really proud of the half that you're bringing into the partnership. Like, you know, nobody wants to take on a project. Like (laughs) this is not, this isn't build a bear. And I always think, you know, when I'm, what I'm looking for in a guy, I need to have those things myself. Otherwise, it just feels very unfair to expect that from someone else. Yeah. And I mean, I think it's definitely possible to, you know, grow with your partner. So mm-hmm. it's not to say that like self-growth can only happen for single people and yes. like it, it, it cannot happen at all when you're in a relationship. But to your point, I think that, you know, use that time to your advantage, right? Like when you are single, instead of like kind of like sitting around, like moping around, you know, wondering why you're not in a relationship, like use that time, you know, strategically to kind of like work on yourself and to kind of like, you know, work on attracting like a better partner and a partner that you want in the future. Yes. Yes. Like, like you said, do the work emotionally, physically, financially, physically, and and all of that stuff. Like for me personally, between the ages of 19 and 28 I wasn't in any kind of serious relationship and it's not so much that I didn't want to or that I wasn't open to it I was certainly open to it but 
it just wasn't as much of a priority, um, especially like before 26, like between 22 to 26 and 27, I was like, the world is my oyster. And there were just all of these life bucket things that I wanted to do and experience. And I'm so glad I had those years to myself because I got to do all of those things. And all of those experiences were so formative in nature. And now at like 31, like I don't have a single regret. There's not anything I look back at and wish I did in my 20s because I, you know, I'm so grateful that I got to do a lot of those things. And I don't think that I would have had those same experiences had I prioritized relationships at time. And I think, you know, everyone's path and journey is different. And I think a big part of life is just kind of acknowledging that. You know, I'm, I know plenty of people who did settle down at an earlier age and they're really happy and that's wonderful for them. Um, it's just that just like wasn't in my cards. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, mm-hmm, yeah. Go ahead. Um, so one question that we got, well, actually, sorry, it's not a question, um, but it came up in conversation when I was talking to a guy friend of mine. He's like 28 or 29 He's a pretty well-rounded, you know, individual, someone I go to if I have an idea or need to brainstorm with or whatever. Anyways, so when I was thinking about doing this episode, I called him and I said, hey, uh, I'm going to do this podcast about dating as a 30-something-year-old Indian woman. I am curious from a guy's perspective, what comes to mind when you think about dating a woman who's in her 30s? And the first thing he said was, well, you know, the first thing that comes to mind is you got to wonder, like, if she's so amazing, why is she still single? Um, I wanted to address this because I think this is unfortunately a very common thought that probably crosses our minds collectively more, more than it should, in my opinion. And I just, I just wish that people would stop thinking this way. It just... Um, you know, like I was saying before, like everyone's journeys and paths are a little different and not looking down on someone because their path looks different than yours, I think is a big sign of emotional maturity. And there's so many reasons why someone is still single that have nothing to do with whether or not they're actually like a good quality person and could make a good partner, you know, like, I've come across plenty of quality men who are in their 30s and 40s and are single and it it doesn't mean that they're any less of a person it just means they haven't found their partner yet and so i just i just feel like it's really important for us to try to unwind this idea of tying someone's value or worth to their relationship status or their marital status the the reality is like a, a lot of people also get married for all the wrong reasons. Like, you know, if marriages are ending in 50% divorce, there's probably a reason for that. It's not always for love and it's not always for the right reasons. You know, sometimes it's like, oh, I'm, I'm this age or my parents are really pushing me or if I've already been dating this person for so long, like I can't back out now. Like those are not actual good reasons why people should go through with with marriage, but I think that happens like, unfortunately, more often than it should. Yeah. And I guess like the flip side of that is like, I mean, there's plenty of like, objectively, 
bad people, for lack of a better word, who are in relationships, right? Like dictators, murderers, criminals, like people who are in relationships, right? So I don't think that like someone's relationship status is necessarily like the best indicator of like who they are as a person. Yes, I'm with you. Let's move on and talk about the dating apps. So it kind of feels like to me, like it's a necessary evil. So there's the ones that I can think of off the top of my head, there's Hinge, there's Bumble, Dillmill, Tinder, OkCupid. Um, what are your What are your experiences with the app? Like, do you do you enjoy using the apps? Do you wish we grew up in an era where the apps weren't a thing? Yeah, I, I feel like my my thoughts on this are kind of like all over the all over the place. I think that I mean, I've had both positive and negative experiences with dating apps. I don't really think that they're like necessarily evil. I don't think they're mm-hmm. particularly good either. They're just kind of like a, you know, a part of modern society, whether we like it or not sort of thing. Um, in terms of uh, do I wish that they didn't exist? There is sort of a part of me that does. I feel like I, I, I think the dating apps are useful. They're a useful and practical way of meeting people, especially in our modern times, especially with like us being in this like pandemic, post-pandemic era where it's a little bit difficult to meet people in person. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they are a useful tool in meeting people. However, I do think that nothing really beats like having that like personal connection. And if there was a world where we could get rid of them, I kind of do think that it would it would benefit society in some way. However, I do think that like, you know, for the time being, they kind of have like their utilitarian purpose. And with my personal experiences with it, which I, and I think a lot of people can relate to, to it too, to this as well, is that um, it's kind of like a roller coaster, right? Like I think when you first download the dating apps, like it's kind of like fun, right? You're like meeting all these people, you're matching with all these people, having all these conversations, going on dates. But then I think you kind of hit like a wall in a way where, it's just kind of becomes exhausting to have to have the Mm -hmm. same conversation over and over again Mm -hmm. to like you know go on all these days it it, it gets exhausting right and then there's also disappointment that comes with it as well because inevitably you'll probably meet some people that like you thought the connection was really great and then it ends up not really going anywhere so there's definitely a lot of like ups and downs with them um I would say that like people have had success with dating apps so if there are people who are who are out there who who want to try them I think I, I think it's fine to go and do that and and kind of be open-minded but I guess I just wouldn't um you know like don't be too disappointed if things don't work out because I mean a lot of people dislike dating apps for and there's a reason for that right so it's not Mm -hmm. like it's it's not just you it's not any specific to any individual yeah I'm I'm with you on that like I think there's there's a nice warm feeling thinking about meeting someone the old-fashioned way but dating apps are just kind of, you know, indicative of the times, especially like in a post COVID or I guess still kind of COVID era. Like for me, my job is 100% online. All of my extracurriculars and, you know, different projects that I do is uh, they're all 100% online. And I like staying at home. <laughs> so I'm grateful that the apps exist because, you know, it does a lot of the upfront work of connecting you with people. Um, I think dating is kind of a game that you have to play, quote unquote, meaning like a relationship isn't just going to come with you, a come to you, excuse me. Sometimes it does, but you do have to put yourself out there. And I think like dating apps are just 
one way to do that. Um, from my personal experience, I have I've had success using the apps. Um, and when I say success, I'm not defining it as like I met my marriage partner, but rather just defining it as you know, having connected with people that turned into something more, you know, um, than something more than just like messages that were exchanged that just eventually fizzle out or whatever. Like I've met, you know, people that turned into a meaningful relationship or a meaningful friendship. And even though it didn't work out with those people from the past, that doesn't negate the fact that like they were still great people. I really valued those connections and they were still overall positive experiences. Um, I know I've, I've been on different Facebook groups and I've seen women posting these egregious statements like all men on the dating apps are trash. And I just, I I don't buy into that. I also don't believe that there's one app that's superior than others necessarily. I mean, I think first of all, like if you're on one dating app, chances are you're probably on a couple others. Also, I remember when I was using the apps, I would see the same guy on three different apps. Yeah, totally. Um, And I kind of think, you know, dating is very hit or miss, whether it's on the apps or not on the apps, there's wonderful people on the apps, and then there's not so wonderful people on the apps. But that is the same in person as well, right? Like you can meet wonderful people at church and you could also meet really not wonderful people at church. So I think it just kind of, again, is, is is a numbers game and it's kind of hit or miss and you just keep trying it's it's trial and error right you just kind of keep going until you find the one find the one that sticks is there a particular app that you have enjoyed using the most I was just gonna say this like to your point I'm like they're all like I feel like all the dating apps are kind of the same you know I know like some people are like oh like Bumble is so much better like Hinge is this or Tinder is that like I just kind of feel like they're all more or less the same I know that like Bumble, the way they sort of like market themselves is like all about like female empowerment because like women send the first uh, message, but I've never really felt necessarily like that, that that empowered me in any way. Yeah. So I kind of feel like they're all more or less the same. Um, for me, um, I, and I have used Bill Mill as well, which I know is like, you know, like, like brown community specific. And I thought, you know, it was okay. I think the, the one issue with Bill Mill, and I, I know a lot of people have said this as well, is that um, it's hard to get matches that are like in your area. Mm-hmm. So you end up matching with people who are like across the country or on like, the other side of the world even, which is just kind of not really practical in terms of like dating. Um, so yeah, there isn't really like one in particular that I, you know, enjoy more than others. I kind of feel like they're all sort of the same. Yeah. And um, also just like for my like mental a sanity, if you will, like, I kind of need to take breaks from dating apps every once in a while. Like, right now, everything is just sort of paused, because I just like, I, I just don't have the energy to like, keep up with the different conversations and the matches and, and the dates. It's, it's it's a lot. It can honestly, like when you first download some of these dating apps, it feels like a part time job mm-hmm. to like, go yeah. on all these dates and talk to all these people. So I feel like, you know, if you're someone out there who's kind of feeling the same way, it's, um, I think it's normal to sort of like feel fatigued and like, you know, take breaks as necessary. Yeah, totally. So wh- one thing I wanted to point, uh, mention was the whole Bumble thing, the whole feeling of empowerment. I agree, I have never really felt quote, empowered. Um, you know, from sending the first message, mainly because on that app, you 
that's the only option. Like the feeling of empowerment that I get from messaging a guy first on an app is immaterial when that's my only option. You know what I mean? Right. Like I can certainly appreciate that messaging and I'm all for women feeling empowered to initiate the first move. And and quite honestly, I think many men would find that attractive. But again, that sense of empowerment, quote unquote, deteriorates when you don't have any other choice. Like there's no other alternative. Right. Um, I personally have enjoyed using Hinge the most because the way I think Hinge works, you get a series of prompts to answer, which I really like because you actually have to put some thought into setting up the profile. And I like the prompts. I think it it makes it an easier way to, you know, start a conversation rather than just like pictures and a bio. Um, have you used Tinder? You know what? I I have used Tinder. I think, and I may maybe this is not correct. I think I was an early adopter of Tinder. Okay, because I, <laughs> I used it like for the first time back in like 2014. Okay, like I was one of the first people in like my friend group to use like dating apps at that time. Um, so I actually had pretty positive experiences with Tinder back then. Since then, I feel like it's kind of like had the reputation of being like the hookup, like mm-hmm. a, a hookup app kind of thing. Um, I don't know if that's true or not. I just I haven't really like tried it in a few years. So I, I can't confirm or deny if that's the case. Um, but I have used it in the past and I did like it back then. So I think it does have the reputation for being a hookup app. I think I downloaded it many years ago and I was on it for five minutes maybe. And I was like, Oh, I need to get off. I want to just get off this. But interestingly enough, I can count on one hand, the amount of couples that I personally know who have met on Tinder and are now married. So I oh, think okay. that's, yeah, that's cool. Um, okay. Cupid is another one that I know people who've had success with. Um, I personally don't have a lot of experience with that app. I think I tried to use it year and it was just so clunky. The interfacing makes a huge, huge difference. And that one I just found so hard to maneuver. And I was like, all right, gotta go. But I think the ones that I've like, used the most were Dillmill, Bumble and Hinge. And to your point about Dillmill, like, yeah, because it is exclusive to the South Asian community, it's like hard to, um, you know, meet people that are in your area. It'll connect you with people all around the country. To combat that, what I did earlier this year was I just added it to my profile that I live in this city and I'm not open to long distance relationships. And that just naturally filtered people out you know totally Um, so the one thing that I was going to say about the different types of dating apps like I've only done like you know dating apps like the free versions of dating apps but I would imagine that like if you were to do like a paid service like a match.com or something which I haven't done I would think that there would be a little bit of a difference then right because you're having like people are you know obviously you have skin in the game you're, Mm -hmm. you're paying for the service so I would imagine that that naturally um will attract like more serious candidates. But again, like I've never had experience with it. So I'm not Mm. totally sure. Yeah, yeah. When do you feel it's appropriate to delete the app? Like, let's say you meet someone, and it's going great. I think just whenever you become like official with that person, Mm -hmm. like ideally, 
if you're dating somebody and th- things are getting serious, you're going to naturally kind of start yeah. to lose, use the app less. less if you're yeah. not, that, that might be an indication of a bigger problem. But I think that like, you know, whenever you guys like become official, I would imagine that that's when you delete them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If I like somebody and we're still in the getting to know each other phases and Even if like we haven't had a conversation necessarily to define the relationship, like I just for me personally, like I naturally won't want to continue trying to date and meet meet other people mainly because I'm just not a good multi-dater. Like it's just it's too much logistics and coordination for my brain to like try to manage all these different people and emotions and conversations. Um, So I personally don't like practice that, but I'm all in favor of continuing to quote date and like meet other people and like talk to multiple people at the same time um, until you meet that person that you mutually have agreed you want to continue to invest into that relationship or friendship. Yeah, I mean, I would agree. Like, and that's kind of the nature of the dating apps too, right? It's sort of like a numbers game. So like, if you met somebody on a dating app, like you kind of already know that they're talking or dating Mm -hmm. other people as well like you know kind of just comes with the territory so I think that's totally fine and then yeah until like the conversation is sort of had you are a free agent like you said (laughs) let's talk about dating apps do's and don'ts like what are the things that make you cringe when you see dating profiles Oh, Lord. What are the things that make me cringe? <laughs> like, I mean, what like, are the things that we wish men knew about dating apps? And I'm sure they have their own perspectives, too. But this yeah. is us, us sharing. Um, I think a lot of men, they're really not good at, like, picking good photos. All the photos are from, like, five years ago. Yes. They're pixelated. Pixelated. Like, all group photos. Like, I don't know which one you are. <laughs> so just, like, the just kind of overall presentation of just picking the right photos, I feel like that's kind of, like, I would say that that's, like, the most common issue that I see mm-hmm. is that these photos are just, like, just not an accurate representation of who you are or, like, I just can't. Yeah, they're just not an accurate representation of who you are. Yeah, like the quality of the photo is very indicative of how old the photo is. Another thing that really bugs me is mirror selfies. I just think they're so outdated and it's, I just think they're, it's a turnoff when I see mirror selfies. Like, let's just leave that for our high school memories, you know? You know what? I I don't really, I'm with you. I don't really like mirror selfies, but for some reason, it's not really a deal breaker for me. Mm. Yeah, it is for me. (laughs) I don't like mirror selfies. I I mean, I I get that. I also don't like gym, like, muscle photos, (laughs) like you flexing in front of a mirror. Um, Yeah. Poor grammar. And I've also just, I've, I've seen completely blank profiles too, meaning like, there's no prompts answered, no descriptions, nothing about you. I almost always pass on those because quite honestly, it kind of sends creepy vibes more than anything. Yeah. I would also just say like just general like negative negativity on dating profiles. Like mm-hmm. I think that there are people who when you come across their dating profile, you could tell that they've sort of been jaded by the dating experience because like they'll say things to the effect of like, I'm only looking for something serious here. I don't want to waste my time. Yeah. You know, things of that nature. And I'm kind of like, okay, well, nobody wants to waste their time. Like yeah. not just you. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, like, and it comes that comes you know, off you- as more demanding. 
Totally agree. Totally agree. I think generally having a sister or a friend audit your dating profile if you're a guy is probably not a bad idea. A hundred percent. Yeah. Okay. So one of the questions that we got was on the apps, how to filter through when there's so many duds out there. This is one of the questions that came through from the anonymous submissions. So personally, I've been on and off the apps over the years. And I know we touched on this earlier, but it can be so fatiguing. And similar to how easy it is to get caught up like mindlessly scrolling on TikTok or Instagram, like the apps can be the same thing. So I think, you know, like you were saying, you take breaks from it. I've done the same. I think that's a really great, great thing to implement. Um, You know, I remember bouts of time sitting on the couch and it's midnight and the TV's on and I know I should definitely be sleeping, but I'm not and I'm just swiping. And then the next day there's all these people in my queue and then same on three other apps. And then just like the sheer volume of people and choices make it so difficult and overwhelming to wade through all of them. I think one piece of advice I remember hearing somewhere was, only allowing yourself to match with like two or three people at a time and just focusing on initiating and developing conversation with just those people before continuing to swipe for more options. You know, some might argue, you know, dating is a numbers game. You shoot your shot and you just see which one sticks. And while that's true, I think it can still, it can, it can just be counterproductive if you're using it in such a way that it's creating more like mental fatigue for you. And it's just making you not want to be on the apps and not want to think about it, you know? Yeah, this is a good question. I haven't really thought this through um, too much. But one thing that comes to mind is, have you ever read Aziz Ansari's book? I think it was called Modern Love. Modern Romance? Modern Romance, yes. I have not, but I've heard it was good. Like a lot of people really enjoyed that. Yeah, I I enjoyed it as well. And he quoted this like study that someone did, and I'm probably going to butcher the explanation of this. But it was basically the idea that like having more choice doesn't necessarily make us like better off, because we just get so overwhelmed with all the different choices that it kind of becomes almost like, um, like inhibiting to our ability to make decisions. So I think that any like finding ways that you can kind of minimize the overwhelm, if you will, um, is probably going to be beneficial. So I liked your idea of like, you know, matching to like a few people at a time, or just taking breaks as you need it, or like putting like a like a, a timer on the app, like every day, so mm-hmm. that you're not like spending hours, like, you know, kind of like scrolling through it, and kind of like, you know, finding ways to sort of, um, minimize the kind of choices that that, that there are that there are out there which kind of sounds um counterintuitive but I do think that it kind of like helps you kind of think a little bit more clearly and kind of like create I would imagine that it would help like create some more meaningful connections than you know kind of just throwing out like a, a wide cast and the other person's also throwing out the wide cast and then nothing's really sticking you know yeah yeah like even premier matchmaking services that are out there like I have a friend who worked with an actual matchmaking service and their rule is that they only match you with one person at a time so you have to actually go talk to that person like meet that person in person 
before they even present the next opportunity to you. So yeah, I think those are those are definitely all good points to keep at the forefront when you're thinking about how to minimize the the feeling of like overwhelmingness that can often surface when you're using the apps. Okay, so I know we're almost out of time. So the only last um, item that I wanted to cover was about interracial dating. Um, you know, actually, there were a couple of people that submitted topics around um, interracial relationships. And I think there's so much more to talk uh, talk about around interracial relationships. And I'll probably cover at some point as an entirely separate episode. But one question that was submitted anonymously that I thought would be good for today's discussion was, so I'm going to read it straight from the submission. So it's, it's, it's a guy. So he says, from my perspective as a guy, brown girls, especially Western born, prefer to find a non-brown partner, in parentheses, not including arranged marriages. Curious as to why this may or may not be a preference. Is it easier to deal with a non-brown family? Are non-brown people more attractive? Is enjoying and passing down cultural heritage slash community not a high priority? So basically, to summarize this guy, he's brown. It sounds like he would like to meet women from the same cultural background, but he's finding that they actually prefer men who are outside the culture. And so he's looking for some insight into why that that may be. I think this is a good question, but I also kind of feel like it's very individualistic. So we can only share our own opinions on it. Um, I mean, for me, I prefer the idea of meeting and marrying a partner who is of the same cultural backgrounds. Like I would love to to marry someone who is Malayali and Christian and all of that for those same reasons that this person mentions toward the end, you know, enjoying and passing down cultural heritage and community and all of that. But with that being said, I think to have a long lasting relationship, you have to be aligned on so much more. Um, you know, does this person share similar values? Like what are their worldviews? Like what are their personal beliefs? Like, are you aligned on, you know, what the vision for your future looks like? Like qualities that you're looking for, lifestyle habits, you could go on and on. And I feel like at the core, those are the elements that are foundational to a strong and healthy relationship. And so for me, it's like, okay, if I found all of those qualities in a person and they happen to be Indian and Malayali, like that last piece of them being Indian is is a bonus. But I don't think that like we should compromise on any of those other things for the sake of settling down with someone because they come from your same background, you know, like, okay, so for example, um, my current relationship, so I met um, my boyfriend, Aaron on Bumble. And interestingly enough, he's actually Malayali. So that was just kind of coincidental. But the fact that he's Malayali is just a bonus, you know, like, I would still want to be with him and and feel the same way about him irrespective of what the color of his skin is or what his cultural background is and again people get married for all the wrong reasons and i think like getting married to someone because they check the box for your cultural background i don't think that's 
a good reason to get married. I mean, you love who you love, right? A person is a person. Yeah, I mean, I I agree with a lot of those points as well. I think this is such a difficult question to answer just because it is so individualistic, like you said. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think like the, the, the um, the number one thing that comes to mind with this question is that like, as you know, like, you know, Indian people, brown people, South Asian people, however you want to define it, like we're not a monolith, right? So there isn't really like one kind of like unified way that we sort of all think. So there may be people who, you know, grew up like very, very close to the culture, you know, would visit the motherland very often, like speak their mother tongue, like, you know, eat the cultural food, like all of that, watch the movies and who are very much ingrained in their culture, who really want a partner that kind of like shares that um, experience with them. And so, you know, if that's the case for that individual person, then of course, you know, it would make sense that they would want to marry somebody from the culture as well, right? But that's not the experience for everyone. Like there mm-hmm. are several like brown people who didn't grow up around a lot of other brown people who like maybe don't speak the language, maybe don't eat the food, all of that. So it's like it's not going to that cultural value isn't going to resonate with them. And then I think to your point also, it's like the number one thing when you're um, evaluating like who you should date or marry or what have you is that um, that you're aligned on your values, right? Mm-hmm. And those values aren't necessarily always cultural. Like there are certain, there are certain values that I feel like I kind of grew up with. Like, for example, um, and I think a lot of other brown people can relate to this. Like, I think like my, um, like I kind of grew up very like family oriented. So um, I'm pretty close to my parents and my brother um, and my extended family as well. We kind of all grew up together. And that's something that's really important to me. And I don't feel like that that's like a quality that's like unique to Indian culture, right? Like I have friends from other backgrounds too, and they're just as family oriented, even though they're from a different culture. So that's kind of like one way in which like the values that you grow up with aren't necessarily like unique to your specific culture. So as long as you can find somebody who can, um, who is aligned with that value, um, it doesn't necessarily need to be from your specific culture, unless like, unless like, unless like your values in and of itself are Mm -hmm. culture specific, if that makes sense. Yeah, I personally know a a lot of people who have married who are uh, South Asian and have married outside the culture. And I think that it is possible to still pass down those, you know, whatever is important to you, if it's important for you to retain culture within your family and the kids that you raise, all of that is still possible, you just kind of have to define what that looks like for you and work with your partner to do that. Yeah, definitely. Like, I, I don't think that like marrying outside of your culture means that you can't pass anything down to mm-hmm. your, you know, future children. So, um, so yeah, I don't know. It's a complicated question to to answer, but I think that um, people should be sort of open minded to different cultures. And I think if they were to do that, they would start to see that some of the values that they have and they grew up with mm-hmm. and maybe they thought was specific to like brown culture isn't necessarily. Mm-hmm. Um, but if it is, then, you know, that's okay, too. And you, you can choose to marry, you know, within your culture as well, right? It's kind of like up to the individual person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, all right, you guys, thanks for listening today. Um, that wraps up today's episode. But we are going to try to do a part two um, later on and actually get to the questions that were um, that we solicited. So thanks, everyone.